Hi LifePoint, Pastor Tom Nackey here. I am videotaping from the church sanctuary where I am and you are not because we are under our shelter in place orders and all that comes with it. But um, we are gonna continue online as much as possible, hopefully grow through this and remember the church was made for times like this. This is where we shine the most. So if you have friends or family or neighbors who are struggling with fear or struggling with anything, remember the church was made for this. This is where we shine the most. And so we're going to continue to shine. Uh, LifePoint is not closed. We are open. We're praying for you. We're still conducting business. We are just conducting business in a whole new way in all different types of formats. So uh, be just encouraged. And we're going to continue to pray for you. And we have got our fourth message in our series with Jesus in the boat. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Give that message and hopefully everybody will be able to click in online and get this. And we'll do five and we'll keep going. And I just know someday soon, I really believe this is going to wash out. And we are all going to be back together in this place where I am right now. It's really kind of odd to be doing this without anybody looking at me. Of course, you know how much I love it when you guys all talk back. So as you're watching this, just feel free to talk to me and I'll just I'll feel it somehow. I don't know. I'll feel it in the spirit, but uh, just continue to do that. All right. Awesome. Well, let's pray and we'll get on with with Jesus in the boat message four. And so, Heavenly Father, we lift up this time. And Lord, Lord what a time. God, that uh, what an amazing time, an extraordinary time that we live in. And we ask, Lord, that we would not uh, bow to fear or hysteria, but Lord, we would be, uh, just like we said earlier, God, the church was made for times like this. This is when we rise up and you really see the people of God just shine. And so, Lord, help us to shine. Help us to stay connected in the word. Help us to stay connected to each other as a church through all of the online means you've given us. And Lord, as we come to the Word of God today, help this not only to be encouraging to our heart, but Lord, whoever we may share this with, let this be an encouragement to them as well, that Jesus Christ is real, that God is on the throne, and that the Holy Spirit is everywhere. And we just rejoice in your presence, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start a pastor in the Chicago area. He tells a story about a young boy who sort of burst out of Sunday school one day and he was filled with excitement and seeing his daddy, he went up to him and said, dad, I heard about the story of Moses and the Jews escaping to Egypt. And it was so incredible. And looking down with a smile, the dad's like, oh, well, tell me about it. And the boy said, it happened like this. Moses and the Jews got out of Egypt. And when they came to the Red Sea, they got stopped. And the Egyptian army was coming after them. And so they couldn't get across and they were trapped. And the Egyptian army had almost caught them. But at the last second, Moses got on his walkie-talkie and he called in the Israeli Air Force. And the Israeli Air Force bombed the Egyptian army. And then the Israeli Navy came and they built pontoon boats across the Red Sea. And they all walked across those pontoon boats and they made it safely to the other side. Shocked the father looked at him and said, they didn't really teach you that, did they? He says, well, not exactly. But if I told you what they really said, you'd never believe it. <laughs> now, I say that because a lot of times that can be the problem with our generation and our modern times. 
We approach faith and miracles with such doubt and such unbelief because I think at times we think we've kind of advanced beyond the Bible. And it's easy to kind of want to explain away miracles of the Old Testament. And there's a plethora of uh, TV episodes and videos out there that try to explain the miracle of the Old Testament, miracles of the New Testament in, uh, in ways that, you know, that, that make, it, make them a lot less miraculous. And uh, of course, if we can't explain them away, sometimes we'll also go down uh, sort of the road of low self-esteem where we say, well, maybe God does do miracles for other people, but not for me. I, I've never seen one. I've never been a part of one. And, uh, that might be for pastors and missionaries. They sure do tell a whole lot of stories about miracles, but literal me, I, it's not for average, ordinary people like me. That kind of thinking is exactly what limits us in experiencing miracles. In fact, pastors and missionaries, a lot of times it's because they've put themselves in places where it's a miracle or it's bust. And sometimes God is leading all of us who are followers of Christ or all of us who are seeking Christ to sometimes come to the end of ourselves so that we can begin to place ourselves in that scenario where it's a miracle or bust. We could be so limited by our ignorance but the cure is found in the Bible. God may not send down bolts of lightning, or my favorite one is rain down $100 bills, but he is the God who makes the impossible possible. Now, tonight, we're, today we're gonna see how. Let me ask you this. What if I asked you to order 500 pizzas and 500 fish tacos? in order to feed the people at the church, especially around this time. You know, uh, food's getting scarce. There's no food. And I, I put out something on Facebook and say, you know what? You, whoever you are, whoever's listening, I need you to buy 5,000 pizzas and 5,000 fish tacos. Show up at LifePoint and we are going to feed thousands of people. Oh, and here's the thing. The church isn't going to feed them. You're going to feed them. Now, for many of us as good Americans, we would probably count the, you know, our first response would be 5,000 pizzas, 5,000 fish tacos. That's like, okay, that's, uh, let's see, 5,000 pizzas at like eight bucks a pizza and 5,000 fish tacos at like 3,000 fish tacos. That's what, $40,000 for the pizza, $15,000 for the fish tacos, $65,000, Pastor Tom? You want me to spend $65,000 to feed people pizza and fish tacos? Tom, are you smoking crack? Are you crazy? I can't scrape together $65,000 just to feed people dinner. Tom, I'm sorry. You're going to have to tell these people to go pack sand. Go find their own pizza and fish tacos. What do you do when you're in a situation that's beyond your ability to control? And we will have many of them. Situations where it's more than you could accomplish through natural means where you're still asked to move forward. For most of us, we work so hard to never be in this situation. It's a situation that terrifies us. It's a situation that we just try to anxiously cross every T and every I so that we'll never be in a place where we face this kind of dilemma where G not only does Jesus ask us the impossible, but we realize without Jesus, it is 
impossible to do. This week, with Jesus in the boat, we find in the title of our message, The Impossible Possible, that Jesus is the one who makes the impossible possible. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 6, again, this is a story that takes place near the boat, uh, not, not necessarily with Jesus in the boat, but near the boat. Uh, and this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is one of the only miracles that is mentioned in all four Gospels. So this is one that's a great, I remember when I was in Bible college, they were like, do a research paper on this one because there's so much material in the Gospels about it. And the amazing thing about this is while most of Jesus's miracles were done kind of in smaller groups, uh, you know, groups of maybe 20 or 50 or sometimes two or three, this miracle was demonstrated in front of thousands, thousands of people. So the word's getting out now, and uh, uh, the disciples never forgot what happened that day. And they learned that that day that God is the God who makes the impossible possible. Mark chapter 6, verse 32 to 44 reads, And the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going they didn't have a chance to eat and so he said to them uh, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest that's important uh, this whole thing about the hunger of the people didn't necessarily start at at the point of destination it started as they were wrapping things up for the day and so in verse 32 you find it says they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all of the towns and got ahead of their in, ahead of them uh, before they got there. Jesus is obviously uh, achieving sort of a celebrity status at this point in his ministry. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's important. No matter what we ever think, Jesus is the God of compassion. And he had compassion on them. So he began teaching them many things. You may say, what? I thought the day was done. The day was done. But he saw their hunger. They wanted to be taught more. They wanted to experience more of the miraculous. They wanted to experience more of the anointing. They, 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 they were enamored with Jesus. And they just they didn't want to go to bed. They wanted to be in his presence all night long if they could. Well, by, the time, by this time, it was late in the day, verse 35. And his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is a remote place and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can kind of go to the surrounding countryside and village and buy themselves something to eat. Verse 38, and this is where it all changes. Jesus looks at them and says, well, how many loaves do you have? He asked and they go and see it. When they found out, they said they came back and they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. The disciples are kind of organizing this, maybe unsure of what's even going to happen, but Jesus said it, they're going to do it. And so they're organizing thousands of people in groups of hundreds and fifties. We're talking 50 to a hundred small groups here of hundreds and fifties. And, uh, and so they keep going. And in verse 39, I'm sorry, in verse 41, it says, taking the five loaves and the two fish 
and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. I don't know if he cracked the fish open too, but in uh, verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten were 5,000. They couldn't even uh, tally the number of perhaps the number of women and children that were also there. So who knows how many that day were actually fed, but it numbered in the thousands. When Jesus was ministering from the boat earlier that day, the disciples had heard some tragic news. They heard earlier that day that John the Baptist had been beheaded. And now all of a sudden, the ministry was getting dangerous. If there was any time where maybe Jesus could have taken it a little more low key, it would have been this time. But instead of taking it more low key, all of a sudden, Jesus is taking it mass media by this huge miracle that everybody is going to talk about. Knowing that the disciples needed rest and that he needed a break from the pressure as well, he took his men by boat to a remote region on the edge of the kind of the northern, northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. But when word spread that Jesus was on the move, everybody was racing to find him. They came from all directions, like teenagers on a pizza. In a sense, you could say that Jesus was a victim of his own success. In the Gospel of John, we find out that Jesus knew that this was going to happen. He, 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 had a, he knew and he had a sense of everything the people were trying to do, even including instilling him as king by force. The question on the table is, how is Jesus going to respond to this large, disorganized, huge crowd of people that ambush him in his comfort zone, in his little place of rest? Imagine you've just worked all day. You finally find your place of rest. You just want to chill out. You want to watch some TV. You want to eat some dinner, have a cup of coffee. And you've got people banging on the doors and the windows saying, let me in. We want more of you. And he's a celebrity now. They love to hear him talk. They, they, they want more of him. Most of them probably didn't think of him as the Messiah, and, and they might certainly not as the Son of God, but like him, they were intrigued and they wanted to hear. Now, of course, many of us, get, out, get off my property, I'm calling the cops, quit banging on my windows. Even a, a lot of our modern celebrities, when they are sort of, uh, uh, you know, engulfed by a crowd of people, you see them running for their limousines or having their bodyguards shoo everybody away because, you know, at the end of the day, we, we've got this little bit, go away, I've given you enough, leave me alone. I deserve this time by myself. That's what we think, but not Jesus. Consider how Jesus responded. Number one, he welcomed them and he accepted them. He didn't yell at them to go away. Number two, he had compassion on them. The Bible says, like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't criticize them for being needy. Have you ever been criticized? You ever not wanted to ask for help because you don't want to get the reputation that you're needy? Have you ever avoided helping somebody because they bug you, because they're needy? You know, we can kind of get like that. And yet when Jesus looked at them, he saw 5,000 needy people. And instead of 
wondering uh, you know, the worst or wondering how this would be a negative thing for him. He simply had compassion. Number three, he taught them. Jesus was the eternal teacher. Uh, he used this as a great example to do an object lesson. What is the object lesson? I'll give you this one. Just throw this in. This wasn't even what I prepared. But uh, Jesus multiplying the bread that day on the mountainside was connecting Jesus to when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and God provided the manna that rained down from heaven every day. What Jesus is saying is, yeah, I'm the same person as I rained down the manna to feed the Israelites in the wilderness in the book of Exodus and in Leviticus, Number, and Deuteronomy. That I'm that same person and I'm multiplying this bread to not only show you who I am, uh, that I'm the Son of God, God Himself, your Messiah, but also to con be connected to that amazing story of provision that's found in the Old Testament with the manna appearing to feed the Israelites. He taught them. That was, this, was, this was a great object lesson. You know, when you're in youth ministry or if you ask Brooke in the kids' ministry, you always want to bring a visual because the visuals or things you can touch and hold, they just burn the lesson in a lot deeper. Number four, he fed them. He fed them. God does not discount the needs of the body. Body was hungry, and uh, he wanted them to know, I am the God who feeds you. And then number five, of course, he healed those who needed healing. He honored their desperation. They were so desperate. They were willing to go to the middle of nowhere. And sure, they may be hungry for a day. They may be hungry for a two. They may be hungry until who knows when they're going to eat again but they'd grabbed a hold of Jesus and they didn't want to let go. And God honored that. I remember it was probably a few months ago as I've committed to going to Church Without Walls on our Sunday, which is the first Sunday of every month. And I really encourage you, that it, not now obviously as we've been asked not to assemble, but when we're allowed to assemble again, to mark on your calendar that first Sunday of the month. I was able to go a few months ago, and I remember as we were feeding, uh, I was next to Ray and Melissa and, and Dave Jenkins, who's uh, new to our church, a couple of people who've, who've been there. Carolyn might have been there as well. And, uh, and I remember looking, and I remember seeing the line just getting longer and longer and longer and, and longer. And I remember I, I thought to myself, God, there's just too many people. I'm looking at the food. I'm looking all around me. I'm, God, there is too many people. And then I heard that voice. It was the voice of the Holy Spirit. I've learned to recognize it. Just whispered to me, Tom, there's never too many people. There's never too many people for me. Never too many people. Let them come and see if you run out of food. And if you ask people who have served at Church Without Wall, they will tell you about eerie times when they didn't think they had enough food and all of a sudden at the end of the night, everybody got fed and they're scratching their head going, how did we have enough food? We prepared for 75 and we fed 250. And I tell you, with God, there is never too many people. And I, you know, and I'm glad, aren't you glad Jesus doesn't have a cutoff number? What if he cut off the crowd? What if he cut off the crowd just before he came to you or your family? What if Jesus had a cutoff number and you didn't make it? How would we all feel? We'd all, we, we would all kind of be like, no, God, we, we want a God where there's never too many people. 
What if Jesus said, you know what, Tom? I'm sorry. I've had my limit for today. You're just going to have to wait. And sometimes I know it can, it can feel like that. But the fact of the matter is, anytime, anywhere, any moment, we're never going to hear, uh, Tom, come back and pray to me next week and I'll see if I can squeeze you in. See, he never said that. At any moment, Jesus always has time to see the people who seek him. See, take notice. The problem wasn't with Jesus. The problem was with his followers. They want to send them away. And perhaps they were really tired. I mean, let's face it. They're tired and they just wanted to be done for the day. I get that. But still, perhaps they didn't want the people to riot from hunger. You know, you get a 5,000 hungry people and they're out there for you and there's no food. They may turn on the leader. Who knows? Maybe they thought of that. Or perhaps they were truly trying to work out the logistics in their mind. Whatever the problem was, they were far too quick to see what they couldn't do and far too quick to look at what they didn't have. So the disciples saw the crowds and they realized their inadequacy. And somehow they forgot that the Son of God was standing right there next to them. My favorite line is the whole, in the whole story is what Jesus says in verse 37. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. It's kind of funny because the disciples had just got through explaining very reasonably, very rationally, very scientifically, Jesus, we do not have the food. You need to send the people away. And Jesus' next response is, will you give them something to eat? Jesus, were you not listening? What we have here is a failure to communicate. But God will often lead us into an impossible circumstance and, and then say, I want you to do something. And in our desperation, we say, how? And then Jesus jumps for joy and says, I'm glad you asked that. Did you catch that? You do something. How? I'm glad you asked that. That's the progression. It's not that Jesus wants us to fail, but he does want us to know that without him, we can do nothing. Our success depends totally on him. And the sooner we learn that, the happier we'll be. So if you look on the website and wherever else I can put it, uh, I'll have some questions here on the discussion sheet, some things you can fill in. And my first point of this morning, we're almost done, don't worry. First thing, admit the need. When you want to see the impossible become possible, admit the need. Admit the need. I've had many times where people will be in my office and I'll begin to ask, I'll begin to probe, what is the need? What is the need? And I've had a few people say, Tom, I don't want to be one of those needy people. And I'll say, I'm sorry. To be human is to be needy. We can hide it. We can smoke screen it. We can do all these things. But at the end of the day, Jesus needs us to recognize our need for him. And if that's called needy, sign me up. Number two, offer what you got. I like it. Jesus says, what do we have? Offer what you got. God will work with what you got. He says, how many lows do you have? And he was trying to drive the point that, you know, you say you don't have anything, but are you sure about that? You say that we can't feed the people, but is there nothing we have? Now, Jesus knew. He knew 
as they were unloading the boat, he's, he's probably counting it up himself. I know. He just saw the loaves and the fish, knew that that was going to be probably their dinner tonight. So he knew that, and, and he's asking them, what do you have? God can, God can and, and does work miracles wholly independent of anything we say or do, but God will generally choose to work through the means we have at hand. Just five lift, five loaves and a couple of fish. In our day and time, five rolls of toilet paper and two hand sanitizers, and God can multiply that. So even, we can so often say, it can't be done. But sometimes we do nothing because we think what we have in our hand doesn't matter. Jesus, there's 5,000 people, all we have is five loaves. Jesus, I can't sing. Jesus, I can't speak very well. Jesus, I'm not rich. Jesus, I'm not very talented. Jesus, I'm not very beautiful. Jesus, I'm to this or to that. I'm not well connected. I don't know many people. We can always come with what we think doesn't matter. Sometimes Jesus will say, do you have a voice at all? Then give that. Do you have love? Then give that. Do you have hands that can help? They don't have to be pretty hands. As long as they're hands. And Jesus never asks us to start accumulating more before we begin to minister. It's not as if he said to Andrew, who was going out and, and organizing this, okay, go up and round, let's see, I think I need 15 fish to do this miracle and, and, and probably 30 to 50 loaves of bread. See if you can go and find that. If you can go and find that much, then we can have a miracle. And sometimes we can kind of have that, you know, like, like uh, maybe I need to accumulate some more before my miracle begin. God can use whatever you have in your hands right now now all he wants is what we have right now all he needs actually he doesn't even need what we have in our hands that's part of the partnership as long as we keep what we have in our hands to ourselves we are often limited in what we can do but when we transfer all we have to the mighty hands of jesus there is no limit to what we can do point number three jesus is still the one who does the impossible. This is a neat little verb play, but if you look at the verb in the Gospel of Mark and in the parallel story in Matthew 14 and, and the other two Gospels have their own version of the story, they all have the verb when Jesus was breaking the bread, they all have it in the imperfect tense. Now that, you might not know what that means. I'll explain it to you. It means something like this. He broke the bread and he kept on breaking it. Does that make sense? So this is where the miracle took place in his hands. He broke the bread and he kept on breaking it. God, it's not up to you to perform the miracle. It is still Jesus that performs the miracle. And there is nothing that God asks us to do that he does not give us the power to do it. When Jesus says, I want you to feed them, it was really going to be Jesus who fed them. But the disciples fed them as well. It was the disciples who went around with the baskets and collected them all at the end. So although Jesus is still the one who does the impossible, and although Jesus may ask us to do the impossible, he doesn't ask us to do the impossible in our own mind, strength, and emotions. He'll give us the mind, strength, and emotions to do the things he's called us to do. And then point number four, you won't always see the miracle with your eyes. Interestingly enough about this story, 
we don't get the details as to how the bread and fish multiplied. Did they just all appear in the baskets? Did they rain out of the sky? Did they kind of form on the ground like the manna did? Did the fish jump out of the lake and into the bath? We don't really get the details. I think part of the reason why is, is it wasn't important necessarily to see the detail. The important thing was the people needed to be fed, and they were, and it was Jesus that fed them. I point that out because there are other miracles where we do get the details. Remember once Jesus healed a blind man and the gospel gives very specific details. He spits into the mud, he makes a little paste out of it, and he starts rubbing it in his eye. That's a pretty good detail for a miracle, I would say. But with this one, we don't necessarily, other than he's breaking. And I have a feeling the more that Jesus is breaking the bread, loaf is coming, loaf, 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 loaf. I don't know if he was cracking fish. Uh, that could get a little messy, but I think you get the point. A long time ago when I was able to talk to somebody who was first in our ministry, I remember he had said, Tom, all I'm asking God to do is get me out of Greenwood. Greenwood is an area of Seattle that was a little shady and, and just a little ghetto-ish. And all I want to do is get out. I remember we prayed for that. Years later, when I talked to him, I said, hey, how's, how's it going? What are you doing? He told me, oh, I'm living over here and, and, and doing it. He's not in Greenwood anymore. I'm hey, God did it, man. He got you out of Greenwood. I remember he kind of scratches his head and he goes, yeah, you're right. He did. <laughs> I didn't even realize it, but that's another thing to be thankful for. And I remember thinking to myself, that's sometimes often how miracles can work. You look back and see how the, the miraculous intervention of God came in but you may not always notice it in the moment. I want to sum this up like this. Start with what you have, give it to Jesus, and then watch him do something with it. Start with what you have, give it to Jesus, and then watch him do something that. And then look back and see the impossible become the possible. As I think about the coronavirus and uh, began in China, I think about the great Hudson Taylor, who was, who was really the, the Western missionary who opened up China to the gospel. Hudson Taylor's ministry, he was a missionary in China, and his ministry saw many documented miracles. And so one time when he was reflecting on his experience, he was asked about this, and he remarked something that I think is amazing. He said, you know, I have come to find that there are three stages in a miracle. Impossible, difficult, done impossible, difficult, done. And life can sometimes seem like that. Impossible, difficult, done. And if you feel like you're an impossible moment right now, just remember, maybe that's simply stage one of your miracle. I don't know who's going to see this, but I want to ask and say from the bottom of my heart, all this hysteria around us, God is still on the throne. Jesus Christ is still his son. His death on the cross still applies for all of our sins. And his Holy Spirit is still wanting and waiting and seeking entrance into our heart. So if you would, this moment, pray with me. Pray with me to receive Jesus afresh and to move out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. 
God, right now, we just make Jesus our Lord and Savior. We admit that we, like the disciples, so often look at who we are not, what we don't have, and what we can't do. But God, help us to change that, especially during this time, to seeing who you are, what you have, and what you can do. Right now, for all those listening, I pray that they would invite Jesus into their heart simply by saying, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sins. I make you my Lord and Savior. And I invite the Holy Spirit to come into my heart. Save me, change me, and fill me. And we will get through this extraordinary time together. In Jesus' name, amen.